This is Steve Adubato, and this, more importantly, is the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour with my colleague and friend, Mary Gamba, who is an exceptional leader. She runs our company, Stand and Deliver, our website. This is like the first of about 20 plugs of our website, stand-deliver.com. Mary Gamba's in the house. Uh, how you doing, Mary? I'm doing great today. How are you, Steve? I'm doing great. We're going to be talking a little bit about time management and leadership. And you may ask, why are you talking about time management and leadership? Well, it's because I just left the gym. I didn't leave enough time to get myself focused, even though I've been thinking about the radio show for days. And I came in all clammy and sweaty. And this seems to be a pattern of mine. But we'll talk about time management, prioritizing, and whether there's a psychological issue to running it at the last minute. <laughs> That's uh, why I don't go to the gym. So this why I don't get sweaty and clammy before we do our oh, show. Oh, is that why you don't go? Yes, exactly. Fascinating. It's a lot safer. Mary, you always have insight on things. But I'm going to also do this. We're going to be joined by our great friend, Nick Matarazzo, who is not just a great personal friend of mine and, and of Mary's, but also as the president of Hearst Autos. Nicky's been... We were college uh, friends. He was uh, actually in the Hall of Fame at Montclair State University, not for academics, as I was, but for basketball. He was a great point guard. We'll be talking about leadership, his experience in the magazine business, in the digital business, understanding auto, understanding consumers, and also we're golf partners, so he can also talk about leadership and having a calm demeanor in the face of adversity. Nikki will be joining us in just a minute. But, Mary, I want to also say this. We're taping... And we're going to date ourselves, but it's okay. We're taping the day after an event in Helsinki where President Donald Trump, who I've written about extensively in my book. Your book is called Lessons in Leadership. Which can be gotten. If they go to stand-deliver.com, they can reach out to me directly, and I would be happy to make that happen. Yeah, okay. We'll plug the book later. I talk about Donald Trump. I talk about Hillary Clinton. I talk about Barack Obama. I talk about a whole range of leaders, the things they do well and the things they make mistakes in that book. Lessons in leadership. I remember writing about Donald Trump during the election saying one of the things, whether you agree or disagree with him politically, and this is not a political show, not a partisan show, not an ideological show. It's a show about leadership. After Helsinki, I don't know what's going to happen in the next days or the weeks ahead. But Republicans, Democrats, people whom I respect, Dan Coats, the director of national intelligence, Paul Ryan, the speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, who is anything but a Democratic liberal, if you will, and others. By the way, Newt Gingrich's wife happens to work for the president. And many others have said, Mr. President, you made a mistake. You did not do what was right in Helsinki, standing shoulder to shoulder with Vladimir Putin. You should not have criticized and attacked American intelligence and say you believed Vladimir Putin when he said he did not meddle, they did not meddle in the 2016 presidential election over American intelligence. And all I'm saying is this. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what your politics is. This is a show about leadership. And good leadership to me, Mary, and we'll bring Nikki Matarazzo on in a second about this and other topics. I say, and I'm praying, that in the time we're taping and this show airs, that President Trump, whom I respect on many levels, while I did not vote for him, says I did not handle this well. Great leaders are about having the ego and the security to say, I did not do this well. It was a bad day. I misspoke. It was a mistake, and I need to own it. I'm not thinking he will, you say? I say most likely not. He's not proven himself to step up and be that leader that we want and need him to be. Well, and you're he's... no Trump hater, by the way. Exactly, exactly. And I did vote for Trump, but mainly just because I wanted change. I wanted to see something new. Um, it Nothing was a risk. 
but I have never seen him yet apologize in a way that made sense, that felt real and genuine. And that's a very poor leadership trait for sure. So, folks, here's the thing. And as you want to express your views to me, you can go on our website, stand-deliver.com. You can also check me out on Twitter, Mary. Mm -hmm. On Twitter, Steve Adubato. That's Steve, A-D-U-B-A-T-O. But also on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D. Thank you. So, listen, uh, as we bring Nikki Matz on, he didn't come to talk about politics or Donald Trump or anything else. But I am going to talk about the question of ego, something I know very well. Stop with the smirk on your face, Mary. My conclusion is that ego, when it gets in the way, and if it's in the way for the president, meaning he cannot say that the Russians meddled because in his mind, if the Russians meddled, somehow it means he's not the elected president of the country, which he is, and I respect him as our president, I think his ego may be getting in the way. And for all of us as leaders, forget about Trump. I know when ego gets in the way for me, I make bad decisions. I don't conduct myself in a way that makes sense. My judgment is impaired. I feel petty, small, and I make bad decisions. And I can hear in the background a guy who has a very strong and healthy ego, uh, not just because he's in the Hall of Fame at Montclair State University for uh, basketball, which I was proud when he was inducted that day, and not just because he's a great golfer, but because he's a great leader. Nicky Matarazzo, who is, in fact, otherwise known as Nicky Matt. Nick Matarazzo is president Hearst Autos. How you doing, my friend? Morning, Steve. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Hey, Nick, question. You don't have to talk about Trump if you don't want to, but I do want to talk about this. You've got a strong, confident demeanor about yourself. You always have. On the basketball court, in golf, and in leadership, how do you separate, and I know you didn't plan on talking about this, how do you separate having strong confidence in yourself with allowing your, quote, ego to get in the way of the decisions you need to make as a leader? Steve, I'm staring at a sign in my office that says, check your ego at the door. Get out of here, Nick. Really? Check your ego at the door. You need that sign, Steve. <laughs> Be quiet, Mary. I'm listening to Nick. Go ahead, Nick. They should embroider it on your golf bag, by the way. <laughs> nice. Nick, could we leave me out of it? See, by the way, what's that sign mean to you? It impairs your decision-making because it becomes about you and not about the goal of what you're trying to accomplish. I don't care if it's President Trump talking to Putin or whatever. That meeting yesterday was about him. In fact, everything he does is about him. And you're not a Trump hater. I just want to clarify that. Um, I'm not a Trump hater, nor am I a Trump liker. I think, personally, I think he's a knucklehead. But he's the president, and because of that title and because of the position he holds, I will show him respect. Same here. But I will also tell you that had I been in the positions that he's been in, I would have made very different decisions at very different times. And some of the things he wants to do are correct. It's the manner in which he approaches it and the way he speaks about it. You know, it's funny. He talks to people or down to people. Nick, let's stay on this because you and I have had countless conversations. In all seriousness, Nick and I are golf partners. We're adversaries, not adversaries, but we're rivals on the golf course. He, in fact, takes not that gambling is uh, appropriate. Is it legal in New Jersey, sports gambling? It is, gambling? yes, sports gambling. So you guys can well, have at it. Yes. Uh, Nikki has taken more from me, but more to the point. We have a lot of conversations in those carts. And Nikki talks about his management and leadership style, his communication style. Nick, you're direct. You're to the point. You do not hold back. The question is this. How do you manage being as direct as you are, particularly around very tough decisions and telling people when they're not doing a good job, not performing, delivering bad news, or whatever you want to describe it, and communicating in a way that's demeaning. How do you 
Where the heck is the line, Nick? The way I approach it, especially when we're in meetings and there's several people in the meeting, is I always find that questions, a lot of questions, actually lead to good answers. What do you mean? First of all, when we're in a meeting and there's a problem, I usually speak last. Because if I give my opinion first, people gravitate to, okay, he runs the company. I need to side with him or not. By the way, right? uh, by so, the way, Nick, I just want to plug, we're on radio, so I just want to remind folks, you're listening to Nick Matarasso. He is the president of Hearst Autos. By the way, Nick, well, I'll pick you up in a second. How long have you been there? I've been with the Hearst Corporation since 2011. You've seen a few things. Pick up your point, Nick, about not speaking first in a meeting. Well, when there's a problem and we're trying to solve a problem as a group or we're not achieving our goals, I'll ask a question and then I stop and I, I kind of go into the background and I let everybody talk about it, banter back and forth about it, and then I, I make observations. And I continue to ask questions. Like? And over-communicate. Right? Like? Over-communicate. Give me some examples, Nick. We are up front this year in digital advertising. We're plus 20%. And so you would think that after coming out of the gate and being plus 20% on people guaranteeing us that they're going to run advertising with us, that now the scatter market buys would, would take a similar avenue. And that's exactly what's not happening right now. So we're what do you ask? Offer, so what do you ask? off our goal. What's the problem? Now, the head of sales will tell you that, oh, they pushed all the money up front which is nonsense because they're running advertising in other places, but why aren't they running it with us? I was going to say, Nick, do you think that people are honest though? I mean, they know that they need to really answer your question, but if they do it honestly, <laughs> they may actually, they may be worried about hurting themselves in the process. So do you think that people are honest in that situation? Well, that's a different question about, are you hiring the right, people to run the various departments of your organization, but, you know, you try to instill and continue to say repetition is also critical. You know, I don't want yes people. I don't want people to agree to me. I want people to push back. I don't corner the market on knowledge. These people are on the street. They're the ones who are fighting it out every day with, with agencies and clients. You need to tell me what's going on so we can make the right decisions moving forward. So interesting. By the way, uh, Steve Adubato here. This is the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour with my colleague Mary Gamba on AM 970 every Sunday at 2 p.m. on AM 970. Just about the best radio station coming out of New York. And also check us out on our podcast, Mary, which uh, how do folks get it these days? They can go right to our website, stand-deliver.com, and we'll have a link from that website so they can subscribe to the podcast. And we're soon, uh, Brian Berdura is in the house. We're making some digital adjustments so that the podcast is even more accessible, correct? Absolutely. People can listen and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Love it. Nick Matarazzo on the phone right now from Hearst. Oh, Nick, let me try this. Delivering bad news, right? You've had to do it. You'll do it in the future. Why are some leaders, let's just say they lack the intestinal fortitude sometimes to do it themselves, and somehow it winds up in the hands of people who have whether it's more courage or whatever the heck you want to call it, delivering bad news, I mean, really bad news, affects people's lives. What's up with that in leadership or cowardly leadership? As a person who runs any company, you need to be transparent uh, with the organization because success comes from, and this is my opinion, but comes from trust. 
and you need to be straight up with your team because look, the market's changing. Whether it's on the advertising side, whether it's the car market, whether it's the fashion beauty market, and you know the market will continue to be disrupted based on the fragmentation of media and how people consume media day in and day out and all the messaging that they can get bombarded with, especially with smartphones. How do you deliver a message on a smartphone if you're an advertiser and make it stick? So change is around it. You have a choice. You can you know, bury your head in the sand or you can embrace it. And that takes a lot of nurturing and change requires adapting and basically new habits. Mm. And you need to be very, very concise and very crystal clear on what the goals are as you go through change. It's interesting with Nick. Mary, do you remember Nick Matarazzo is on the phone with us right now? Nick is the president of uh, Hearst Autos. You know, a couple of years ago, you remember I wrote about Nick in one of our books? I wrote a story about Nick. And I think it was I, in You Are the Brand, right? I think it was You Are the Brand. By the way, all five books can be found on standashdeliver.com. Nikki, did we plug too much, Nick? No. In fact, uh, it was You Are the Brand. And uh, the. Uh, the overview on me is on page 115. <laughs> that is impressive. So on page 115 on You Are the Brand. By the way, <laughs> so I remember writing about Nick because it was an interesting time in Nick's life without uh, recounting it too much. But Nick had, let's just say he was challenged himself professionally in terms of where he was going to be and whether he had a place in the marketplace. And uh, he had to re, I don't know if it's reinvent yourself, but... I marveled at how tough Nick was to get back up and say, all right, so-and-so may not want me in a certain position, but I have enough confidence to go back out there. Let's say a little past midway through your career, Nick, and you just jumped right back in. Talk about that in leadership, confidence, before I let you go. And where does that confidence come from, by the way? I'm a big believer that a lot of what I learned, I learned from playing sports and leading a basketball team and and being a team player because there are no Michael Jordans in any organization. I'm what do you mean? as good as the people that surround me. And it's, that's a fact. And any leader who tells you otherwise is kidding themselves and they're going to hit some pretty big speed bumps. But what you're specifically talking about is that I put together a plan when the market got very, very difficult in 2009 plan was, hey, this is brilliant, Matarazzo, that's great. And the chair started to move. And, you know, you remember the game Duck, Duck, Goose. Well, guess what? Musical chairs. When I went to sit down, there was no chair left. And they were apologetic. Yeah. And I was let go. And Nikki I was out. And said, you were out, Nikki. Yep, I was out. And I looked at them and said, make the wrong move because the people you want to run this don't have the skill set to do both digital and print. Long story short, nine months later, they called me back and said, you were right. Will you come back as CEO? But how did you not lose confidence in yourself is the question, Nick. Well, the first 48 hours, you're looking in the mirror going, what did I do wrong? Where did I misstep? And then it's like, okay, I have a family. I have kids in college. I need to go do something. And I started a consulting firm, and, you know, I, I had a good reputation. You, you know, you need to be straight with people. You need to be straight up. You need to be crystal clear mm. what the objective is, and you need to follow through with it. And by the way... That objective and that goal may be wrong. You need to pivot. You need to be nimble enough to pivot and move on. And you need to rally your troops. Wow. Because, I've... again, you're only as good as the people that surround you. 
And by the way, Mary and I like to. It was our friend Larry Downs who called it strategic agility. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Larry Downs, by the way, uh, Larry Downs, the CEO of you know, New Jersey Resources, uh, just come on board as the initial lead sponsor, major sponsor of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. So thank you to Larry Downs uh, and the folks at New Jersey Resources. So, Nick, listen, final advice for Mary and I as we continue to move forward with the uh, Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. Any advice to us? Because you're a natural coach, Nikki. You're a natural coach. Here's what I'm going to tell you, and it goes to that point you just said, Steve. Help others, and you'll help yourself. Coach those people. Inspire them. Help others, and you'll help yourself. Nikki, any advice for me on the golf course which would be helpful in beating you in the near future? Um, first of all, bring more money on Saturday. It's my first advice to you. The second thing is you need not let anyone distract you <laughs> within our foursome. It seems to be your focus is a little off these last couple of weeks because certain people um, just need to get under your skin. Okay, we are not going to mention any names. Um, Mary, You, I, I'm looking at Mary. She's trying to figure out who it is. I'll well, tell you. Well, I mean, it's you and Nick and only two other people. So there's, always, I got a 50-50 chance here. You remember, you, Mary and I did the show. Last time we taped, Mary said there's always one. There's always one in a group who it's – I call him the Eddie Haskell of our group. Mary knows who it is now. You can, but as a leader, you have to have the discipline. You do. You have to have the. In- you can't break clubs. You can't throw clubs. No, 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 it's not none that you've ever done that. I mean, no. you've never done that before, right? Nikki, I want to let you go at this point because Mary's going down the wrong path. Nick, I love you. You're the best. You're a great leader and an even better friend. Mary, you want to say anything to Nikki Matz? Thank you so much, Nick. My pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Manage your attention and your emotions, <laughs> and you'll be a great golfer. Talk, talk to you soon. Talk to you this weekend, Nick. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. You got it. That's so interesting. Uh, let's go to a quick break. Uh, we'll have some interesting information, and we'll be right back on the Steve Autobotter Leadership Hour on AM 970, The Answer. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Steve Adubato back. This is the Leadership Hour on AM 970, The Answer. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. We were just listening to Nick Matarazzo, who, in fact, is the president of Hearst Autos. Nicky's had a 30-year career. I mean, it started in magazines because uh, Car and Driver, he was the guy. Mm-hmm. He was the top guy there. But then print turned into digital and change. Change happens. Change. We get older. Change happens. You can't resist it. And you just need to lead it. Interesting. I always see you taking notes when we're listening to one of our smart leaders sharing his or her insight. A couple things you took away from Nikki Matarazzo. It's amazing how many things translate from the golf course to or sports of any kind right. into the workplace. By the way, Nikki was the captain of the Bloomfield High School basketball team and then the captain of the Montclair State University where we went to school at the time basketball team and was the point guard, which means he was in fact uh, in hockey, you're a hockey fan. Who would mm-hmm. be the person basically making things happen Probably for the others? center. The center is the one that makes stuff happen and can go anywhere he wants. But, but Nikki also set up other people's to, to, people yeah, to yeah. succeed. So go ahead, sports. No, absolutely. And he had said manage your emotions um, and your demeanor on the golf course. And I think that's so critical for leaders. We were talking earlier about Donald Trump and just being able to 
the the tips and tools of being a great leader and managing your emotions, regardless of whether Nick is taking your money as you're not playing golf well and you get frustrated, or if you let that one person, as we always talk about, the one get under your skin, it's on you as the leader. It's not on that guy. It is not on that, that guy. No, and and that's true in any case. If someone is really irritating you and you let it bother you, that person's not even thinking about it. So it's on you at that point. So someone says. He made me a leader. Go yeah. back to leadership. Forget about golf and basketball and everything else. I've often said this to you. So-and-so on our team or so-and-so outside of him, he or she made me act that way, you say? It's an easy excuse. It is so easy to point the finger at someone else when that happens instead of looking inward and saying, what should I have done? You can't control what other people do. You can only control what you do and how you deal with Stay situations. Stay on that. So the President Trump issue with respect to leadership, I've often heard people say, and the president say, I'm only saying this and acting this way and saying lots of things because the media is against me. The Democrats are against me. Forget about your politics. Is it a good enough reason for a leader, Donald Trump or anyone else, to say, I have to do this to counteract all the people who are coming after me and want to stop me from being president? You don't move forward if you do that. If you make it about the situation, the thing, as you and I always talk about, if you make it about that and not about moving forward— you don't have to go from zero to 60 in order to fix a problem. In other words, you don't need to get all angry and get upset and have your emotions get the best of you. Or call someone a name on Twitter. Exactly. Keep a level head and say, what's going to be better for the nation? What's going to be better for the organization? Well, what what's going to be? Say I'm Donald Trump and Donald Trump says, wait a minute. People are challenging whether I'm the legitimate president of the United States and I am not going to uh, say in front of Vladimir Putin that, yes, they meddled in the election. Because if I say that... Then it questions whether I'm the legitimate president, which, by the way, I don't know who anyone really questions whether he's he won the Electoral College, by the way, by a lot, not by a small margin. You, What about if he says, I'm only doing this to protect my legacy as president? But leadership is about what you do, not what you say. So he can put out on Twitter all he wants about how he believes he's a leader, how he believes he's the president. You need to do it by your actions. You need to prove your leadership through your actions, not through just simply putting a post on Twitter. That's easy. Prove it by your actions, which he, in his defense, he has done a lot. But to then get petty and go in the direction of posting silly things. Interesting on, word, petty. Yeah, it is petty. It's petty. It's juvenile. It's childish. And that is when he lets his ego and his emotions get the best of him. But the most successful people that I've ever met in business have a huge ego. So there is something to be said for that link between leaders. I've never met a leader that does not have, I mean, I can't name one. But stay on the ego thing. If your ego allows you to have the confidence to take certain risks and try certain things and be bold, that's positive ego. That is positive ego. Where does ego. it turn? It turns when you make it more about yourself than you do about the success of your team, your organization, and in Donald Trump's case, the nation. And again, I want to repeat that, Mary. I love what people say. Oh, those liberals, those, uh, let's not, Mary Gambit would not be called a liberal in any world. She voted for the president. She clearly wants president to succeed, as I do as well. But I'm going to say this. Let's just go back to the apology issue. I know we've talked about this before on the uh, Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato here with Mary Gamba. We are, in fact, on AM 970, The Answer. Check us out on our podcast as well on stand-deliver.com. Soon to be available, Brian, on... iTunes and Google Play. Thank you, Brian Brodeur. I think President Trump truly believes, and I don't know this for sure, that if he says, I screwed up, and by the way, I'm praying that by the time this airs, um, we're taping it the day after Helsinki with President Trump and President Putin, if he says, I screwed up, 
I think he thinks it's a sign of leadership weakness or weakness as a leader. And you and I have said a million times, that's not true. Correct. It's not true. Admitting your mistakes, it not only shows others how to lead. Again, as a leader, you want to show through your actions how others in your organization should also act. So by you apologizing, if someone else were to make a mistake in the organization, they will have the confidence to also own it and then not only own it, but then say what I'm going to do differently in the future. Okay. But Nick Matarazzo from Hearst Autos also said this. Part of leadership is surrounding yourself with the right folks. And the question I have is, and Nick said, you can't have, quote, yes people, he called them, yes men or women. A good friend of mine, uh, formerly uh, one of the top, one of the, actually the president of Fox News, who I'm very close to, uh, Bill Shine, uh, and you know Bill mm -hmm. um, from my work with Bill. He's my former producer and director at another network. Bill actually was brought in to be, in my view, the leader of communications in the White House. And uh, by the time this airs, I hope he's still there. He just got mm -hmm. there. Bill's always been a straight-up guy, honest, strong leader. I respect him. Yes, he did get caught up in, in, in some of the scandals involving Roger Ailes there, and some people believe he may not have uh, spoken up enough. I don't know enough to say, but I will say he's been nothing but a man of integrity uh, dealing with me. I'm hoping he has whatever it takes as a leader to say to President Trump or someone there, uh, John Kelly as the chief of staff or whomever else, Sarah Sanders, Mr. President, this was a mistake. We need to fix it immediately. What does it take to not be the top, top leader, but to be a leader underneath that leader doing that? How courageous. It's extremely courageous. And it's also a sign yeah, of... Yeah, well, you do it every day, but go ahead. I was just going to say that. You and I, but it, it didn't start that way. When I started working here 18 plus years ago, it did not start with me having the confidence to say to you, Steve, you really didn't handle that well. Sorry, Mary, the stakes are higher when... <clears throat> the world, the nation yeah. is involved. So therefore, these people, you were a kid, I was uh, clearly older than you, but we were starting. This is different. Stakes higher. It is different. They don't have as much time, by the way. You, they don't have as much time. Exactly. Exactly. It's very finite, um, you know, in terms of really just a few years, uh, getting it right and figuring it out and having those people behind him in order to tell him really what he needs to hear, not what he wants to hear, is really going to help him succeed even greater, you know, than he ever imagined. But again, it's leaving your ego at the door. Uh, Nick talked about that sign being on his door that says that every day. And it is a constant reminder because it's hard. Think about the power trip. You're the president of the free world. You're the, you're out there. You're the guy. You're the man. He was the man before he was the president in his mind. He was out there. He got his name out there. Trump this, Trump that. And now he really is. You can't get bigger than the president of the United States. But it's different. Leadership in the private sector in a privately held company where you can make it Trump ties, Trump water, Trump meat, Trump tower, Trump airline Trump, Trump meat he had Trump meat <laughs> Brian didn't he <laughs> I did not Trump realize steaks. that just Trump steaks wow um there's something that we're gonna you and I and tell you about this uh, Steve steaks we're gonna oh. <laughs> create no but is leadership different Steve Adubato here with Mary Gamba this is the leadership hour did not plan on talking about this today but it's the day after Helsinki is leadership in your view different as the president in a very public situation versus president of a privately held company, or is just leadership, good leadership, good leadership, bad leadership, bad leadership, it doesn't really matter. 
I think that the leadership, it does matter. Tremendously, it matters. And that's why he is under the microscope as much as he is in terms of his outward facing. But if he takes all the skills and tools that he learned leading these organizations and finding himself uh, in a difficult situation, if it's bankruptcy or what have you, and then building back up again. Which says a lot about perseverance. Right, exactly. And again, I didn't vote for Trump because, oh, you know, I think Trump is amazing. But I also saw what he was able to do in, in his corporations. And personally, I feel that a country should be run like a corporation. The politics aside, the who's uh, giving money to which person so this way they get the deal or they get the contract to build that bridge or those roadways. Yeah, but you still have to get along with people and build relationships with you and I talk about with Congress, with leaders of other countries in NATO. I mean, it's not like a – in private business, you and mm-hmm. I spend three quarters of our time talking about relationship building. Yeah. How good do you think the president is a relationship building as a leadership tool? I think that he's doing great. I mean, he, you know, everything that he's doing right now, getting out there, going over to South Korea and North Korea and making all of that happen. I think that, what, you don't think so? I'm not going to make it political. No. You think that going to a NATO meeting as Mm -hmm. a leader, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say, because this is a station with religious connections, getting people peeved, let's say, from the NATO coalition who are our allies and right in their face saying, hey, you got to pay your bills. You need to pay more. You're screwing the United States. And and by the way, you have Germany, you have a deal with Russia for oil. You should get Russia from us right in front of everybody in a meeting. Then he's next to Putin. He's like, well, listen, you told me you didn't do this and I believe you and you're very strong when you said it. Um, I'm going to argue that relationship building is questionable there. Yeah, no, I agree with you in that instance. But overall, I feel in his time so far in office in terms of building relationships and sticking by what he said he was going to do, the economy right now, unless I'm wrong. Listen, I I believe in all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the with people who are not your friends naturally, Mm -hmm. making friends with them. Part but of leadership. Go it ahead. is, but fake friends is not what we need in leadership. If he's, it's the same as we were talking before. It's called diplomacy. Diplomacy, yes. It's definitely he needs to have a little bit more tact when he goes and is out there. Tact would part be of nice. But if he went in there and just, you know, kiss this one, kiss that one, you know, all the hands around the world and butts around the world and said, hey, listen, you know, and then behind their back is saying something totally different. I prefer a leader who is out front. What you see is what you get. But what about if he did that with Putin right next to him? Hey, listen, Mr. President, I respect you. I want to have a great relationship. But come on, you and I both know you meddled. Mm -hmm. That's not. I mean, that's where it gets into shades of gray and that he's definitely teetering on, you know, you could really anger somebody. And next thing you know, I mean, it could all fall apart. But so far, it's worked for him. It has. I, I personally believe it has. It's so interesting because it, it, you're willing to, to to mock all kinds of people. But it's somehow, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting in the few seconds we have left. I'm not going to make it political. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that consistency is part of leadership, too. And not that you treat everyone exactly the same way because they're all different. Right. But um, I'd love to see the president. And again, I'm praying that by the time this airs, the president has said, I did not handle myself well. I made a mistake. I think it would make him an even stronger leader if he did that. And by the way, just to repeat in my book, I write extensively about Hillary Clinton's inability to say, I screwed up. Benghazi, I screwed up with the emails. Do it up front, not be forced into it, not have a phony apology. I said it about President Obama screwing up the launch of the healthcare.gov website. He blew it. They blew it. Took way too long to say it. Um, 
So to me, it's not political. It's consistency about leadership. Mary, final words as we let go of this week of Leadership Hour. By the way, what's coming up next in the next half hour? What is coming up next is State of Affairs with Steve Adubato. Isn't that all about leadership in the public sector? It sure is. Absolutely. Listen, check us out on our website. Uh, Stand-deliver.com. And you can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Adubato, A-D-U-B-A-T-O. Listen, folks, another fascinating edition of the Leadership Hour in the books. And we'll check you out next week on AM 970, The Answer at 2 p.m. on Sunday. Thanks to our great friends at AM 970 for helping to make this happen. Check you out next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Dr. Joseph Marbach. At Georgian Court University, we're committed to educating the public about the importance of higher education and its impact on our communities. That's why we're proud to support the important educational programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by Valley National Bank, Georgian Court University, PSCNG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future, Johnson & Johnson, NJM Insurance Group, United Airlines, and by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We, in fact, are coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. We welcome back Patrick Dunnigan, Chairman and Managing Director at Gibbons PC. By the way, Patrick, for people who don't know, Gibbons is? We're a 200-lawyer firm, uh, five offices in four states, based here in Newark, New Jersey, founded in 1926, as you know, by Andrew B. Crummy. So for most of our lives, we were the Crummy lawyers. <laughs> but uh, you, you brand it differently. We're now the Gibbons firm, <laughs> for, for good reason. Yeah, by the way, I've known Patrick a long time. I do some leadership coaching at, at his uh, law firm, and we've known each other and talk about legal issues all the time. Um, the state of the legal, not just profession, but um, the legal system, I know, broad question, state and nation, go. Uh, Let's talk about New Jersey first. Sure. Uh, 90,000 lawyers admitted to practice here in the state of New Jersey. And the funny thing is, you need every one of them. <laughs> the complex society in which we live right now requires counsel, requires you to think like a lawyer. What does that mean? You're mm -hmm. trained in law school to think differently. Not just, oh, take one side of the issue, as you see in politics, but to look at all issues from a multifaceted perspective mm -hmm. and then come up with solutions. So here in New Jersey, we have really hardworking lawyers doing a whole bunch of different things. You can be in government, you can be in the judiciary, you could be in a large firm like me. There are me. CEOs who are lawyers There's as well. There are CEOs. It's excellent training. And people in the media. No question about it. Most of your anchors, Steve, your right. colleagues, you're a PhD. But a lot of those people on TV that you see every day, they have JDs. And they're providing useful insight into what we're seeing going on in the news every single day. And we know there's a lot going on so, in so the news. Pa uh, Patrick, we're, we're here with Patrick Dunnigan, Steve Adubato here. This is State of Affairs. Curious, those who say, wait a minute, we already have, quote, unquote, you know where I'm going, too many lawyers. Yeah. The, tr the truth is there's been a crisis in legal education for the past decade. We're not going to have enough lawyers in about five years. Um, let, let me give you a perspective sure. that I share with Mark Cuban, 
Mark Cuban sounded a clarion call. He said, look, the STEM jobs were good to have three years ago. We need people who can think creatively. And that's what law school does. So you go to law school, you learn how to pull apart issues, come up with your client's perspective, right? Advancing your client's rights, and then uh, find a result, a solution. And that's what lawyers are really doing. We're driving solutions. It's solution, solution business. Is the skill set different today for a terrific first rate, excellent lawyer than it was, say, 10 years ago? No. The same. A smart lawyer 10 years ago uh, will be a smart lawyer in 20 years. Technology hasn't changed it? No, not really. Not for what we do, right? We're thinking about the problems, getting all of the facts, understanding the situation, understanding all of the nuances mm. of a particular situation, then applying those facts to the legal rubric, whatever that is, sure. whether it's regulation. I mean, you're looking at the national debate uh, about immigration, for example. That's a legal you, you issue? Need, you need lawyers. You need lawyers to go down there and do what? Figure it out, right? All of these families need counsel. They as we need, speak right now, the situation help. is not resolved. These children, we don't know what's going to happen. But as we speak toward the end of June, they are separated from their families, families yeah. at the border. And the, and the government is taking a position that there's laws, laws on yes. the books that they're applying and simply need to apply the law so that the politicians have to act to change the mm. current law. You can see the tension, the crisis mm. on both sides of that. We're speaking with Patrick Dunnigan, uh, Gibbons PC. He is the managing partner um, and managing director and chairman. The judicial system, Different from the legal system? No, not 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 really. Uh, but what about judges? And that judges, yeah. So let's say in New Jersey, we have an extraordinary bench. Now there's state and federal. Let me talk about state first, then I'll talk about federal. On the state bench, we have extraordinarily hardworking lawyers who became judges, who sacrificed for their family to go into public service. You mean not make as much money as they would make in the private sector? Precisely, section. exactly right. And these are hardworking lawyers. Just yesterday. 13 judges were renominated for appointment. It's not a lifetime appointment like the federal bench. You get appointed by the governor for seven years, and then you get reviewed. You get a job mm -hmm. performance review, and not everyone gets reappointed. 13 reappointed yesterday. To me, that's emblematic of a really strong bench, these individuals who have made the sacrifice to go into public service. With respect to the federal bench, New Jersey has one of the best federal benches in the United States of America. But right now, we have openings. And we have two Democratic senators. Makes sense. It's a blue state, right? And we you have Menendez president. and Booker. That's correct. Senators Menendez and Booker have right. the right to exercise courtesy. Whichever Republican White House. Exactly. So, so what does that mean? It's about the judiciary. But, so, but judiciary is, respectfully, Patrick Dunnigan, that's not <laughs> supposed to be political. Well, of is course. Is that in theory? In theory. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. So the president, he won, he won the election. Right. He won the electoral vote. Does that, does that he mean has you control the, right the judiciary? To make the he has the right to make these lifetime appointments under Article 3. The senators Of the Constitution. That's right. The senators can exercise courtesy and not approve or, or issue the blue slip to the Senate to authorize appointments. So that we're at a little bit of a stalemate wow. right now in New Jersey. Which means there compromise. are openings? There are three openings as we sit here today and more coming. So we really right. do need to focus on that as an issue. Can we do some issues? I know that your firm uh, happens to be involved in dealing with representing clients in a few areas. Can we do sports betting? Sure. Good sure. thing for the state? Excellent thing because for the state. Uh, you're going to have revenue. Uh, you're going to. This was a case that Gibbons happened to be involved with, uh, and it took years and years uh, of pushing and finally winning at the Supreme Court. You're going to open up uh, the, the coffers now. There's there's some moral issues that you have to consider there, uh, but it's overall going to be helpful to the state of New Jersey.
You believe that? I do. Uh, a couple other areas I want to talk about. I'm curious about, you and I have talked about workplace issues, diversity, promoting yeah. women. The firm, I'm not going to make this a commercial for Gibbons, but I happen to know that promoting women and promoting diversity has been a big part of uh, what you guys do, not because just because you think it's the right thing. You argue it's good for business. Make the case. Absolutely. So again, we talked about that the lawyers are in the problem-solving business. You need to have a diverse workforce because those individuals are bringing diverse perspectives to problems. As a result, you're getting better solutions. So this is something that I've been talking about for my entire time as the chairman of the firm, 15 years. Before it became trendy for That's some. All, it's important to be part of the conversation, and I think it is now every day. So advancing and retaining women in, in, in law firms or in the business, really important. That's why we have the women's initiative at the firm. Right. Advancing uh, diverse attorneys at our firm is really, really important, again, because the clients are demanding it. The ABA just issued a rule. American Bar Association. American Bar Association just issued a rule that said you need to include diversity as part of your client service and also from the client's perspective, mm -hmm. you need to be hiring diverse attorneys, again, to provide that better perspective on solutions. Do this for us. The other issue is equal pay. You know, yeah, that's like chocolate chip cookie stuff and apple is pie. Is it? Of course it but is. But it's not for everyone, no, Patrick Donegan. That's for outrageous, some... right? We're going to pay women and men the same? That should be something that shouldn't even be discussed anymore. That's, that's... But it is. Well, be... And there are some, dare I argue, in the business community who say, I don't know. You well, say if you're doing the same job, you should get the same amount of pay. Not debatable. It's not even a question in 2018, in my perspective. 21st century, that's 20th century thinking, maybe. Uh, by the way, these and other issues we'll explore with Patrick Dunnigan. Um, we're doing our radio show called The Leadership Hour on the radio side on AM 970. You'll be joining us for that, talking about nothing but leadership. And uh, Patrick Dunnigan, I want to thank you for joining us, Chairman and Managing Director, Gibbons PC. Appreciate it, my friend. Great. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, uh, Gibbons is also a supporter of public broadcasting and the work that we do here. Thanks. We'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. We welcome back John Castanis, president and CEO of University Hospital in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. Good to see you, John. Likewise. Nice to be here. Um, I should disclose University has been a longtime uh, underwriter of our programming, particularly on the healthcare side of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Um, John, biggest challenge in urban healthcare today is fill in the blank. Maintaining high quality care and trying to do it all within uh, an increasing reduction in uh, resources, financial reimbursement from third-party payers. What does it mean, third-party payers? Well, <clears throat> Medicare and Medicaid, which is the government category, uh, any state appropriations, local appropriations. Uh, as we all know, most municipalities, even starting in Washington, <clears throat> everybody's challenged with their budgets. That's right. And uh, with that, it trickles down. And when you have a public acute care hospital, such as University Hospital in Newark, that's owned and operated by the state of New Jersey, along with the state's uh, budgetary challenges, it trickles down to the hospital as well. So that's so interesting. University, it, it's, it's not run by the state. You lead it. You don't work for this. You're not, you're not an employee of the state of New Jersey. 
I happen to be, as are most most of our employees. However, to your point, but you have your independence. We have we have a board of directors right. that are really the ultimate responsibility for uh, running the hospital. It's so interesting. Uh, you've been, in, by way of background, we we're just saying before you got in here, a few years in the industry. Uh, try thirty-eight. <laughs> Started in hospital administration immediately. Yes, front first line, front line administrative position right out of graduate school way back in 1980 at uh, the Manhattan Eye, Ear, and Throat Hospital. Moved on to work mm -hmm. uh, for New Rochelle, what used to be called New Rochelle Medical Center, right. then on to um, working with the Sisters of Charity on Staten Island, and then the Hospital for Joint Diseases in Manhattan, which ultimately merged with uh, what is now called NYU Langone Medical Center. Sure, bring it back to North. The constituency, the population you serve, describe it. It's uh, <clears throat> what we refer to as a vulnerable population. Vulnerable. But, but, but when you talk about uh, racial or ethnicity, um, half of the city, more than half of the city is African American uh, with many other minorities. Uh, I remember a stat off the top of my head where <clears throat> about 47% of the families that live in, um, in Newark <clears throat> and use our hospital speak a foreign language in the home. Right. What about the whole insurance? Underinsured, insured, what's the situation? We, we have um, a large <clears throat> portion of the population that are eligible for Medicaid. And with the Affordable Care Act in play, <clears throat> we became an expansion Medicaid state here in New Jersey. That benefited places like University Hospital because it expanded uh, the eligibility for those that didn't, were a little bit above the poverty level where the poverty level was at, at 100%, it's now at 133%. Did it help, John? It helped the a lot. The ACA helped? We, the hospital did get to see more Medicaid-insured uh, patients coming to the hospital rather than all those that were presenting without insurance at all. So, so, so interesting. And this is, not, we're, this is not a political show. It's a public policy show, so I want to understand this. The repeal the, of the individual mandate, okay, of the ACA, how does it impact population you serve? That's specific to the insurance exchange plans. <clears throat> they, it, it doesn't pertain to those that are now eligible for Medicaid. To be honest with you, we didn't see anything significant in terms of patients that are opted to buy the discounted insurance exchange plans with subsidizations, which is a whole other controversial issue right now. But we didn't see people who signed up <clears throat> with these insurance exchange plans uh, there wasn't a significant sign-up in Newark, mm. and as a result, we didn't see anything significant. But the Medicaid expansion piece was <clears> important <throat> to the hospital. The whole question of transparency, there's a lot of discussion around, you get a hospital bill, you, wow, look at that bill, where'd that come from? And there's an effort in the State House as we speak right now to change that whole dynamic so that there's more transparency. Explain that. I, I think what you're, you're <clears throat> referring to, Steve, is uh, the out-of-network yeah. issue. Does that affect the university? Uh, to an extent, not too much. Again, not, we, we see a lot of government uh, reimbursement, Medicare, Medicaid, and government subsidization. But on occasion, because we are the only level one trauma center, for yeah, let's example, talk about that. you have patients that are brought in from outside Newark, outside of Essex County, to our, our specialty. Explain what that means, the level one trauma center. <clears throat> We're the only level one trauma designated center in northern New Jersey, meaning uh, the highest level of injury uh, the <clears throat> level of uh, specialty care that's needed to help somebody survive uh, and get better is really centered at Newark Hospital. 
And we have medevac helicopters bringing patients from all over the area, particularly from uh, the northern part of the state. And that runs at a very high cost. Mm -hmm. But uh, with that, you might get patients that are not under Medicare or Medicaid, but their insurance plan is not negotiated with mm -hmm. the hospital. And they'll get a full bill uh, <clears throat> from the hospital if their respective insurance company refuses to pay the bill. So the state has grappled with this, I understand, for the past eight years. Yes. And there might be some recent legislation mm -hmm. that we think the governor is going to sign off on. Governor Murphy. Correct. Where um, <clears throat> there's going to be an arbitration process where the parties will get together and there will be at least some adequate reimbursement to the mm -hmm. hospital that's not part of the insurance network that the patient has covered. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting, John. The time we have left, I'm curious, <sighs> fiscal challenges in the state, you being connected to the mm -hmm. state, do you think most folks understand the challenges that University Hospital faces every day and the importance of those dollars? Uh, in all fairness, probably not. Uh, we have <clears throat> a, a dependence on uh, charity care funding, which the Uncom state... Is that people who come in... Correct, people with no insurance Got at it. all. And uh, <clears throat> we do get a special appropriations funding every year, but again, that's dependent on the availability of funds that the right. state has. So in those areas, we watch very carefully on how the state budget is evolving. And of course, we do our best to input to the state and our uh, elected officials to understand the importance of that special funding to University Hospital. Because not, not just for the denizens of Newark, but for all of Essex County and the surrounding areas, we have <clears throat> a lot of great uh, surgical specialists, including our liver transplant program, our, our fairly new vascular wound center. We have a lot of specialists that are needed, uh, not, again, just for the uh, local um, Newark residents, but also for mm -hmm. those that really need specialty care, in addition to the trauma services we provide. John, listen, complex stuff I know, and I know the population you serve every day uh, that, that is vulnerable. You used that word early, early in the conversation. We thank you for joining us and um, enlightening us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. All the best. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD and follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. We're pleased to welcome back by popular demand Leslie Anderson, President and Chief Executive Officer of an organization called New Jersey Redevelopment Authority, which does... We are a state financing authority. We provide financial and technical assistance to New Jersey's most distressed communities, most urbanized communities. Let's break this down. There's something we were talking with um, United States uh, Senator Cory Booker about literally in the NJTV studio yesterday. He was talking about, uh, Jackie, what do they call Opportunity Zones? Yes, sir. Um, Leslie Anderson, talk to us about Opportunity Zones. What, who, where are these zones and what do they mean? Uh, we have looked at, uh, there are 100, I believe 135 zones designated by Census Track in the state of New Jersey. What the opportunity zones have the potential to do is tremendous. What it's going to allow is institutions that have high capital gain tax liability mm -hmm. will be able to see a break in that tax liability when they make investments in projects in these designated Translation. areas. 
question. Are we lowering tax rates in these communities? We will potentially, through the projects that get financed, look to lower the tax rates in those communities. So you're going to see distressed properties come back online so that these municipalities can begin to collect taxes. Like on right these now, properties. you're not bringing, getting in property taxes because nobody's in them. Exactly. <clears throat> but we're seeing an opportunity to put resources in as equity. We've never seen this before. Mm. So it's going to go in as equity. It can stay seven to 10 years. And in that time frame, it gives the opportunity for the project to grow, to create jobs, to create homes, to just better the quality of life in communities in New Jersey that truly need it. By the way, Steve Arabato here. This is State of Affairs. We're at the NJTV studio in Newark. Um, if you listen to us on, on a lot of different platforms right now, this is Leslie Anderson, president and CEO of an organization called New Jersey Redevelopment Authority. Is it a government entity or is it outside the government, your organization? Uh, what we're outside of is the budget. So we received an appropriation. Uh, we received our first appropriation in 1996. From the state? From the state. Uh, it was $9 million. We received a second appropriation of $25 million for the New Jersey Urban Site Acquisition Program in 2002. That means you acquire property in urban areas. We help municipalities and developers acquire property. We don't do it directly. We're a lender. So look at us like a bank in the state of New Jersey. Mm. What we do that's different from a bank is we take on that higher risk. We're there first. So we go in first, help that developer get site control so that he can attract his permanent and his construction financing. But we also do bond financing. Uh, one of the projects I'm excited about, we funded IHOP in uh, Patterson. It was critical to the city of Patterson. Mm. It was a corner property in a mall. We weren't used to doing it, but it was something that the city of Patterson needed, the community needed it, and we came in and assessed it and underwrote it, and it's a, it's a thriving and successful project What's right interesting now. is other banks may wind up coming in after you come in and provide some seed money. We prime the pump. So that where their first mentality is, when the bank sees that vacant, dilapidated property, right. they're not as interested in putting that risk in first. We put that risk in and we attract them to come into uh, those cities and make an investment. Leslie Anderson, let me ask you this. We are in Newark. We're taping, as I said, at NJTV mm -hmm. studio. We're in the heart of Newark. There's a lot of activity around us, a lot mm -hmm. of construction going on around us. In a city like Newark, where you've got a lot of activity, you've got Prudential, you've got the Devils, you've got NJ Pack uh, Prudential Center around the corner. You've got a lot of activity going on here. Do they need you, or is it other communities that do not have bigger corporations, sports arenas, et cetera, et cetera? Who needs you? Newark absolutely needs us. The downtown is thriving right now, but it Newark is. is a large city. There's some outerlying neighborhoods That's right. that have not seen the success that we're seeing in the downtown. And let's be clear, the success in the downtown is real and it's turning the city of Newark around. How do you push it up the hill? If you will? For those of us who are born and raised in Newark, we, need, we know what we mean by up the hill. Mm -hmm. Literally up the hill from downtown in Newark, um, around St. Benedict's Prep and into the central ward where the the uh, rebellion slash riots happened in 1967. Harder to get investment there, right? That's why we're there first. That was the vision of uh, Senator Rice and then Senator, Senator Ron Rice from yes, Newark, right? Who uh, sponsored our enabling legislation that we would have the flexibility to go into these communities and provide the resources that were needed first. So what we do in a lot of those neighborhoods as well is we provide some initial technical assistance so that we offer through our training. Institute classes that help people understand 
understand the redevelopment process. So when the time comes for them to mm -hmm. apply for our financing or financing from banks, mm -hmm. they're able to get it because we've educated them about the process. Go back to Patterson again. I'm fascinated because one sure. of the banks we deal with is very involved in the Patterson area. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, and also there's a major healthcare system we work with over there. Um, I'm curious. Someone says, you know what? Let the marketplace dictate it, uh, Leslie Anderson. If, in fact, there's not private money to go into a property, to go into a development, to build an IHOP there, to build an apartment here, then you know what? That's the private marketplace. And that's what this country was built on. What are you doing having government get involved in providing seed money, you say? I think the government is a catalyst. We have to acknowledge and recognize that there's a level of disinvestment. And the marketplace is not going to go into places where there's no investment. So the state, in its wisdom, created an entity like the New Jersey Redevelopment Authority to say, you're the catalyst. We don't stay there. We don't finance 100 percent. But we go into these communities and jumpstart the process. You get it going? Absolutely. And by the way, if the market's not there for it, it doesn't happen. We underwrite. Right? We have the responsibility mm. to invest the taxpayer dollars wisely. So we do underwrite. And if the project does not make financial sense, we continue to work with the community on those issues that mm. need to be addressed for it to make sense. Before I let you out of here, we're doing a series uh, on leadership. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm fascinated by the question. You can check out our website, you, you'll, you'll see it. Okay. What's the biggest leadership lesson you have learned? I don't want to say particularly as a woman, but you happen to be a woman, happen mm -hmm. to be a woman of color. Biggest leadership lesson you've learned in your career is? Leadership is about service. Most people get that wrong. They think leadership is about being the front man, being the person who always gets the accolades and the attention. But when you're a good leader, you're a servant leader, and you're about serving the people that are following you. So if you're not about that, then you're just a person who's on a walk. Where'd you learn that? Growing up? Uh, actually, if I can give a plug, a few seconds. Go ahead. I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. All I right. There. <laughs> Absolutely. But that is an iconic sorority that has uh, produced so many extraordinary leaders. Absolutely. And Listen. I'm one of them. I'm excited about Thank it. Thank you so much. This is, in Thank fact, you. Leslie Anderson, President and Chief Executive Officer, New Jersey Redevelopment Authority. I'm Steve Adubato. This is State of Affairs. And we thank you for watching us. We'll check you out next week. That was great. Thank you, sir. I thank appreciate you. you. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by Valley National Bank, Georgian Court University, PSCNG, Johnson & Johnson, NJM Insurance Group, United Airlines, and by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Promotional support provided by NJBiz, All Business, All New Jersey. And by New Jersey Monthly, the magazine of the Garden State, available at newsstands. NJM Insurance Company has been serving New Jersey policyholders for more than 100 years. But just who are NJM's policyholders? They're the men and women who teach our children, the public sector employees who maintain our infrastructure, the workers who craft our manufactured goods, and New Jersey's next generation of leaders, the people who make our state a great place to call home. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered.
I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources.